Mike Schur was just, his expression, Cody, I think was a mix of bewilderment and revulsion. Yeah. Cage offers something genuinely special, a perfect performance, and one which could not exist without every other performance that the actor has delivered. That's Barry Hertz at Globe and Mail, raving with a new film, Pig. I know, it sounds terrible, but it's actually a really good movie. It's starring Nicolas Cage. We'll also talk about Old. You're thinking, wow, M. Night Shyamalan, probably a good movie. No, it's not. I'll tell you why it isn't. Plus, a few episodes of The Righteous Gemstones, the first season which I finally dived into, Danny McBride, John Goodman, and others. We also have my friend Claire Atkins. We're bringing back a segment over 100 episodes ago from Cinephile, Up in the Air with Claire. She'll tell us about a new film starring Dave Patel and some great indie movies she watched during the pandemic. But... As always, we want your support. Subscribe, rate, and review here on Cinephile. And last week, Cody, I thought we had a particularly strong episode, but this is how insecure I am, and you're used to dealing with honored people, so you're not surprised by this. We do the interview with Mark Harris, and mm-hmm. afterwards, I'm like, what'd you think? Like, no, oh, I, I was into it. Like, this is my Chris Codyism. I was into it. I liked it. I liked the fact <laughs> you just trimmed the fat, and, uh, you know, De Niro, Pacino, Sopranos was good. And mm-hmm. I was like, yeah. And I go, but, like, I read a, I read a 600-page book in eight days. Yeah. Like, he didn't, he didn't really give me what I wanted. He wasn't impressed. <laughs> he was not impressed whatsoever. <laughs> so <laughs> the question is this. Am, am I just so insecure? I'm looking for too much validation from the guests. Like, look at what I've done for you. I read a 600-page book in eight days. I'm giving you the platform of Cinephile. Or is it that Sam Watson has spoiled me because he was so praiseworthy oh. in my adulation towards him? Sam Watson is one of my favorite. Like, I, just remembering him from weeks ago. I, I want to hang out with Sam Watson. I feel like we set such a high standard with Sam Watson that Mark Harris is never going to live up to that. Sam Watson with the hair, the energy, how much he appreciated you reading his book and reciting the good, the parts that you enjoyed. Mark Harris was kind of just like, yeah, that's right. I wrote that. That's right. Damn right. It's good. And- <laughs> And you made this point about writers in general. I said, because this is the, the revamp cinephile here. We're going to have another writer on. Glenn Frankel is joining us in a couple weeks, talking about the new Midnight Cowboy book. We're going to have five authors on in a two and a half month stretch. The revamp cinephile is all about authors and books. But, and you've noticed something about these authors. But I actually am into it. It's something that when you say that, it kind of says, like, ooh, that's not a great thing. But the way you do deep dives into these books, almost all of these, I've had zero knowledge of beforehand. But the way you do your research and the parts that you bring up to them, I've gotten into all these. So, like, uh, it might be our thing here, but I'm really into it. I appreciate that, pal. More importantly about Sam Watson, you said you want to hang out with him. You sent me an excellent text the other day. Yeah. There's a guy in your bowling league that looks just like Sam Watson. I am going to take a picture of this guy in my bowling league, and it's just going to be for me and you. And maybe we'll put it out on the Cinephile Pod Twitter, which you should follow if yeah. you don't. And uh, But I'm telling you, it's I don't know how many people know what Sam Watson looks like, but he bowls in my league on Thursday nights in, in Davie. <laughs> Didn't realize he was in South Florida, but you can see Sam there. We also had an interesting experience last Friday. So, again, thanks to Stu Gotts, by the way. It was his birthday on Thursday. Mine as well. I hope Stu had a great birthday. I did as well. Um, Cody had texted me. He goes, hey, can you come on our watch party? We're doing Marlins Yankees. And I said, sure, no yeah. problem. So I go on uh, for you and Billy and Mike Schur, who I don't know. I've never met him before. And he's an acclaimed comedy writer, Parks and Rec, and uh, The Office, and so many others. And I'm figuring, like, I'm not going to go on here to talk about Jesus Aguilar being a great run producer. Like, I, I could do that, but like, who cares about that? So right. I came on with material. Like, I treated it like I'm on a talk show. And I'm material. Set. Right, stand-up yeah. set. Like, I, I'm coming on at Guns Blazing. And, <laughs> and you knew what I was doing. I think you knew. Yeah. Like, he's not going to come on and just be like, oh, what would you think of the Gallo acquisition? I'm like, no, no, I'm not, no I, 
I can, I can tell you about that, but I'm not going to do that. I was all about Mark Harris, who didn't give me nearly enough validation. So I had both of the books, the Mike Nichols book and Pictures in a Revolution. And I'm thinking, okay, am I going to tell the story about Pacino Angels in America? Am I going to tell the story? No, I'm going to tell the, no. the, 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 come on, Dr. Doolittle stuff. That's the good stuff. So I told the story about the, the dog, which later on, by the way, I love that you and Levitar brought up and you mentioned it could have been a Cocker Spaniel. It might have been a better story. But it's about a Basset Hound being masturbated to on the set of Dr. Doolittle. And Mike sure was just, his expression, Cody, I think was a mix of bewilderment and revulsion. Yeah, he didn't seem too into it. I kind of got what you were doing. Look, man, be memorable. I'm with it. I am in on this. You came in strong and you came out guns blazing. Now, I'm wondering what was your game? Like, were you just like, this guy's a writer. He'll appreciate good writing. So let me like, Thank you. Let me expose Mike Schur. No, that's poor, no. poor phrasing with what we're talking about. Here. Let, me, <laughs> let me show Mike Schur this good writing that I've read recently. Like, 100%. You, or- if it's you and me and Billy, I would have just started telling, you know, ESPN jokes or jokes about the show or Stu and Dan, whatever. But I'm like, oh, this guy's a comedy writer. Oh, so he loves entertainment like me. He's in the business. Yeah. I just read a book. Oh, he'll like this excerpt. And obviously, it's vulgar and obscene, but it's Friday at 9 o'clock. Shock value. Right, That's shock value. Well, I'm not going to tell him. Like, then afterwards, you know, I told the Dustin Hoppin story. He still wasn't impressed. I told, he was like, <laughs> okay, cool. I'm like, so you don't want that stuff. So what do you want? Do you want, like, actual stories? Do you want just brutal, disgusting stuff? I'm for I tried the disgusting to, I, stuff. I tried to get Mike Schur on. <laughs> This episode, this week, to get this react, just to get a real, what what were you really thinking, kind of thing. He's on vacation mm. this week, so he All did right. say, "Oh, come on." So potentially in the in the upcoming episodes, we'll right, get some it's sure. a good tease for uh, moving forward. All right, let's dive. Into we, get, we get we get to reaction in this episode, and we can tease a Mike Sure appearance in the future. Well, well listen, I saw the clip. Of course, you guys sent, and you said, "I mean, you've known Dan forever." You said you haven't seen Levitard laugh that hard in years. I mean, he just loved how awkward it was. I think exactly. Dan loves that kind of thing. Anything that kind of is like derails stuff because we were kind of just you know talking. <laughs> Luke Voigt, you know, we were talking like we were doing the deep dive and you brought it, it. Honestly, regardless of what people think about your appearance, it's the only thing people remember about Friday night. So like you did great. Honestly, like I text you afterwards. I was like, dude, like, don't come in and just be forgettable. Like, you did it. That was well, great. That's very kind of you. You're a good friend. Because I, I was worried afterwards. I saw a lot of tweets, but like, that was awful. Like, this guy derailed it. What a jerk. And Jessica was awesome. And Burke's a perv. And I'm like, <laughs> I mean, that's true. But I mean, I still thought I was bringing something to the table here. <laughs> and by the way, if you have no idea what's happening right now, go like, check out the Dan Levitard Show podcast yes. with Stu Gatz. You can hold the whole recap. And by the way, if you have even more lost, listen to last week's Cinephile episode, and you'll hear the interview with Mark Harris. It'll all make sense to you. I promise you. Let's get into Pig. That's right. Nicholas Cage may be a lot of things, but one thing he is not is dull. At his best, Cage's work is raw and inspiring. Think of the drunk intent on killing himself in love with a hooker with a heart of gold, winning an Oscar yeah. for leaving Las Vegas. Love struck and moonstruck. A silly comedy amidst Elvis impersonators in Honeymoon in Vegas. Gloriously over the top in John Woo's gonzo action film face-off. Inspired genius playing two disparate souls in adaptation. And of course, Con Air, The Rock, Red Rock West, National Treasure, and a whole lot of forgettable detritus. Which is why his latest performance in the film Pig is such a revelation. Since aside from his soulful work in Martin Scorsese's underrated Bringing Out the Dead, we've never quite seen Cage like this. And not just because he's as hirsute as the Wolfman or Jack Nicholson in Wolf, which, by the way, is another Mike Nichols film, which I did not talk about. You can read that in the Mark Harris biography. Cage plays a vagabond alone in the forest with his idyllic pig. That's right. He's just got a swine. It's just a man alone with his pig living in the Pacific Northwest. The pig does have a gift, though. He can find truffles. So he's a truffle hunter, and that's how Cage survives. Some wannabe rich entrepreneur who shows up in this 
yellow car. He's cocky and cocksure. He gives Cage's character goods in exchange for the truffles. He's left with his pig and a tape recorder, which he listens to old cassettes, then finds them emotional and turns them off, and the pig consoles him. Yeah. How was the pig? How was the pig's performance in the movie? Um, the pig. Well, here's where it gets interesting. Suddenly, and I'm hoping it's a lot of just him and the pig, but there's a, there's a home invasion <laughs> out here in the middle of nowhere. Cage is knocked over, and someone absconds with the pig, and he's drawn, unlike the Hemingway novel, across the river and into the trees. This time, back into civilization in Portland to get back this man's best friend. So this sounds ludicrous, right? It sounds like a poor man's John Wick. Okay, this yeah. guy killed his dog. In it. But instead, it isn't at all. It's not like an action movie. It ends up being a pensive, penetrating rumination on grief, suffering, and trying to come to terms with one's painful past. How did this character come to be? Why is he in love with this pig in the first place? I felt the pull of Samuel L. Jackson at Caveman's Valentine <laughs> or Robin Williams and Terry Gilliam's brilliant The Fisher King. But Pig is different. It's about finding your way. It's about cherishing something. It's about longing for acceptance. And despite Jules Vincent, who once said that a pig is a filthy animal in Pulp Fiction, the metaphor works, and for that you can credit the filmmaker here. Sarnaki, whose style could best be described as indie grunge. He's got that dim lighting surrounded by the colorful foliage of Portlandia. You've also got Adam Arkin showing up as an oily, rich entrepreneur who isn't above the law to get what he desires. Shout out, by the way, to the underrated 90s hospital drama Chicago Hope, Adam Arkin and uh, the great Mandy Patinkin as Dr. Jeffrey Geiger. Pig ends up being a surprisingly affecting, including an excellent cover of the song, I'm on Fire. Uh, it is a wash in right now superheroes and sequels right down this summer. But a Nicolas Cage movie, Cody, which doesn't feature endless character mugging and over-the-top excess. That- so with a nod to Chris Noonan's Oscar-nominated babe, that'll do, Pig. That'll do. I'm giving it three Maple Leafs. I was very surprised by this, this- film. This is just stunning that it's a movie being taken seriously. I feel like Nicolas Cage had reached a point where it was just like, okay, you kind of roll your eyes at a Nick Cage movie. I hope Mike Ryan's not listening. But like, <laughs> it, it, that's what I feel like we were at. And that's honestly what I was expecting when you see a movie titled Pig. And But everything you see, like this is his highest rated movie on Rotten Tomatoes. I mean, I read actually that they they didn't have a big budget for this film. Mm-hmm. So they couldn't hire a trained pig. And that this pig only had three days of training. And apparently it bit Nicolas Cage a couple times. <laughs> See, look what I'm bringing. But I love that you found this factoid because that's the level of research that I'm looking at for you. And more importantly, to your point, that's how low budget this thing is. Like you think Nicolas Cage, you think, okay, big budget and it's just stupidity. He's just over the top, screaming, delirious, and they're just burning through money. But no, very small, no trained pig. And and it took him 20 days to shoot this thing. So everything went the first time. How long does it usually take to shoot a movie? That seems ridiculously short. Most times 60 days to shoot a movie. Okay. If you can do a movie in 60 days, I'm like, all right, that's a two-hour film. That makes sense. So 20 days, I'm like, wow. I mean, they had no budget in this thing. Are I we talking it, like, is he going to get like Oscar stuff here? Like, is it that good of a performance? Well, that's what I was thinking to myself. I go, hang on a second. This is a really good movie. He's never had a 97% meter right now on the Rotten Tomatoes. Pig yeah. is his highest rated film ever on Rotten Tomatoes. So I don't think we're quite that level. And we've got so much time, obviously, left in the calendar year. And I hope Matt Damon gets recognized for Stillwater, or at least buzzed about it. If you haven't seen Stillwater, make sure you listen to my review last week. It's now nationwide in theaters. By the way, Dallin Cuff, my friend, texted me, because you got to give longer on a spoiler alert. Who? Uh, Dallin Cuff. He works at ESPN, oh. does a great job, college basketball and soccer. He goes, bro. He goes, Cody asked you if he's a Trump supporter, Matt Damon's character. Yeah. And then you gave him the 3-2-1. He goes, I had to throw the headphones. I mean, I, I damaged things. I was like, so we need to figure out how long is a spoiler alert? How long is mm. appropriate? <sighs> 
it's difficult because I mean, I feel like you're controlling your podcast listener. I mean, just hit pause or something like, you know, I mean, I guess maybe <laughs> maybe say three, two, one a little slower, but I feel okay. like we're giving people some time here. Right, Fair enough. I don't want to lose Dally. He's a good listener of the podcast, but but we also don't give spoiler. So I'm not going to tell you what happened. You said how good an actor was the pig? I thought he was decent. I mean, he, listen, he's got maybe 12 minutes of screen time in a 90 minute movie, but he winks his way through. Here's yeah. the bigger question, too. Like, do you find pigs to be? Attractive animals. I, I mean, the answer I think is no. I mean, it's not yeah. even close to a dog. With the way we use the, the like the word pig sometimes describing <laughs> things, it's set up for failure, kind of. Right. But I feel like I feel like it's better looking than the name sounds. Like pig, <laughs> you hear pig, it's like ooh. Like, some pigs can be cute, little baby pig. Right. I guess a baby pig is that way, but this is not no piglet. This is Nick Cage's pig, and piglet. it's piglet. Nick Cage's time. All right. Next up, we will talk about old, which unlike pig. Which you think, ah, oh, it's gonna be terrible. It's actually decent. Old, oh, and my Shyamalan, it's gonna be good. No, it's not. It's, it's interesting. It's interesting that we're doing a Nick Cage movie and M. Night Shyamalan because I feel like they have both reached it, the point where it's kind of like you don't expect a lot of greatness from them. So yeah, I are, agree are we surprised you. by both of these here? Yeah. And let's do let's do that aspect of M. Night Shyamalan first, because to your point, you know, his first film was Wide Awake, which completely bombed. Rosie O'Donnell was in it and she actually said Knight was awesome. She goes, he was a great guy. She goes, what I remember about him was he was he was born in India. We'd come, you know, to Philadelphia and she goes, he was big family man, married young. She was, he was a really sweet guy on set, good director. But the movie was absolutely dreadful. It's like it just completely falls apart. <laughs> and we're like, okay, some guy made some movie called Wide Awake about, you know, some guy trying to get in touch with, I don't know, someone who died or something. But then Sixth Sense sells. That script, I remember, sold for like oh, $2 million. Like, oh my God. Good. Like the, already within the movie circles, it was like, there's this script called The Sixth Sense. And apparently it's awesome. They just paid $2.2 million for the script. And some guy named M. Knight, what's his name? I don't know if pronounce his name. It's Knight, Knight something. Then the movie comes out and it's just. Boom. 1999 was a great year for movies. Brian Raffles wrote a book about it. I've interviewed him in the past, by the way, here on Cinephile. But that movie, that twist ending, I mean, that makes your career, Cody. You're like, man, I'm the guy who made The Sixth Sense. And you're like, I can't wait to see what's next. He's clearly really smart. Nods to Hitchcock. Great with actors. I mean, Haley Joel Osment was nominated for an Oscar that year. Bruce Willis, career resurgence. Uh, Tony Collette was nominated that year. You see Unbreakable, you're like, all right, good movie, I like it. Different, but superhero theme. Sam Jackson, again, Bruce Willis. Signs, all right, decent, Mel Gibson. And then you go, what the hell is this guy doing? Lady in the Water, I love Giamatti, brutal movie. I did like the score, good music, I think it's James Newton Howard. The Village is awful with William Hurt. The Happening, I didn't even watch it. Mark Wahlberg, who's going to watch that film? <laughs> um, the Visit, which represented his comeback, because he'd gotten so bad, like M. Night Shyamalan's now a punchline. Like, this guy's movies are the same thing every time. Some twist ending, and the twist ending is never that satisfying or enjoyable. So what I'm telling you is this. This guy had three really good movies out of the gate. He's made a lot of bad movies since then, and I will add this to the latest, because he's been really Oof. formulaic. Here's the story, in case you're wondering. Um, old is about a bunch of characters showing up at a basically this desolate island. And what is odd about it is this. This vacationing family discovers the secluded beach where they're relaxing for a few hours is somehow causing them to age rapidly, reducing their entire lives into a single day. And you're like, okay. And the cast is an assemblage of a waste of talent. Gail Garcia Bernal, who's of course an excellent actor, he's one of those, you know, got the indie cred. You got one black family, you got an Asian family. You got the hot blonde wearing a very skimpy bikini. All of them are equally vapid and uninteresting. So these bunch of people on vacation are trying to escape their problems and suddenly they start turning old, right? Their kids are all of a sudden teenagers. You're like, oh, why is this happening? How could this be? And I get it. M. Night Shyamalan's a talented filmmaker in terms of his camera angles, his love of Hitchcock, but the storytelling is so labored and uninspired. I'm not going to give it away because obviously people want to watch it, but I'm telling you right now, Chris, if you watch this movie, you have one question. Why are they turning old? 
And at the end yeah. of the film, you are not going to say to yourself, wow, that was so cool. They all turned old. You're going to go, that's about as lame and predictable and unsatisfying <laughs> as I can get. It is just more trifle from M. Night Shyamalan. And I want to love the guy. Listen, South Asian descent. There's not a lot of filmmakers uh, like him out there. The fact he's from Philly, we could talk Flyers, we could talk Eagles together. But there's just, I, I think it's disappointing that a guy with this kind of talent gives you such a tired, drawn-out film once again. 49% Rotten Tomatoes. It's a dud. And what do you think happens here? Is this a bunch of yes men who are like, this is really good? Or like, <laughs> is it just such a, such a subjective thing where you can think you're making something great and then just everyone doesn't like it? So interesting. I mean, I, I know this is a yeah. broader question with movies in general because sure. a lot of bad movies get made. But that's just so, so interesting to me. Like, is it just people that are like, oh, this is really good, even though it's not? I think so. I think what happens is he just has such cachet and he's got such juice. So they go, wait, M. Night Shyamalan script. And like I said, he was in the doldrums there for a while. He's making you know, the last airbender, trying to resuscitate his career. He has a monster hit with Split. And I think the next studio goes, we'll just take it. New M. Night Shyamalan yeah. script, cool. Kind of fly through whatever you want. Like, we'll give we you know people blush. will go see it. We know some, like, it will sell to right. some extent. But I haven't seen the box office now, but I, clearly word of mouth has not been very good on this film. So old is not a film that I would recommend for everyone out there. But if you like M. Night Shyamalan, you want to go check it out, fine. By the way, you re you mentioned Haley Joel Osment in yeah. there, and it got me thinking: like, who the hell is the youngest person to ever win an Oscar? Uh, hang on, hang on. It's um, Tatum O'Neill. No, not Tatum. Look at you. Yeah, yeah. Paper right. Moon. Paper Moon. Yeah, yeah. Tatum O'Neill, ten years old in the seventies. Yeah, Peter Bogdanovich's film, uh, Paper Moon. Best Ryan O'Neill. Right, Ryan O'Neill's daughter. It's great. Yeah, that actually is a really good movie. Black and white film, father daughter story. Um, Haley Joel. Whatever. Okay, now Google what happened to Haley Joel Osment. I wonder what happened to him. Like, I would. I always wonder what happens to child Next. actors. I've seen him around somewhere. Like Anna Paquin's in the piano, and then all of a sudden, years later, she's in the Irishman. I'm like, that's awesome. Like, she's Haley Joel Osment was in the uh, Entourage movie, I believe. Wow. Okay. So he's it's been a around. Random poll from random. a few years ago. <laughs> this random. Thirty-three poll. years old now. Wow. Look at this. I'm getting old. Still seeing dead people, but he's 33 years old, still going strong. That's good news for him. Uh, one more review. I want to squeeze in the righteous gemstones. I've got family visiting right now, my brother and my parents. So you've got six adults and eight kids in this house. So when the kids go to bed, we've got to watch something. So the righteous gemstones. I, listen, I love Danny McBride. East Bend and Down for baseball oh, fans like me and so Cody. Good. I mean, one of the funniest shows. Like, that first so season good. of East Bend and oh. Down, hysterical. I think the first 10 minutes is unbelievable. Like, they show this oh. montage of his character, and it's, like, so colorful and so profane, and everything that's wrong in the world you're finding with this Danny McBride character. Like, I think I'm just drawn to characters who are so offensive that they just have no, you know, they give zero Fs about what anyone says about them, and that's what Danny McBride is great at. I mean, he's excellent at that sophomoric humor, that callous jerk who's arrogant and doesn't realize he's going to get what's coming to him. I think he's like, he nails that character better than anybody. Eastbound and Down has one of the best cameos ever by Will Ferrell playing the, right. the, the used car salesman. That's and right. like that out, have you seen that outtake scene with Craig Robinson? It, like just YouTube outtakes Will Ferrell, Craig Robinson, if you've never seen it. It is one of the funniest videos. I ever. just remember he's got the white hair and the glasses and he's like, you, you want to get into this? Like he's yes. very, he's very seductive yes. as a salesman. My which wife makes me Donna. Right, right. <laughs> It makes me often I said, wonder. let the boy watch. <laughs> like, how tough must it be? Like, this is why, one of the reasons I can never be in a comedy. Like, I would just start cracking up. Like, yeah. take after take of Will Ferrell mm -hmm. or, I don't know, Steve Martin, Eddie Murphy, any of these comedians, I would just laugh so hard. So, The Righteous Gemstones, I know that season one came out. I believe they're trying to shoot season two to come out at some point. Because it's McBride, I'm in on it. I just hadn't got around to seeing it. That's a long wait between seasons. Isn't season, season one come out a couple years ago? I think, honestly, almost 2018, I feel like. but yeah, that's, that's a long lag between seasons. Definitely a long lag. But the storyline is this. It follows a world-famous televangelist family with a long tradition of deviance, greed, and charitable work. I'm like, okay. 
perfect fodder here for Danny McBride. And he plays the son of John Goodman. I love John Goodman, although he's barely in the, in the show. I wish there'd been a lot more of him. And I'm expecting the same kind of humor. Walton Goggins also shows up. I loved him in the Tarantino movie, Hateful Eight. And it's got this promising premise. But I gotta be honest with you, we watched three episodes, couldn't get through any more. When the laugh per minute quotient is not particularly high, I don't know what the formula is, but I feel like in a comedy, especially a comedy series, you've got to have at least three belly laughs for an entire episode. And these episodes wow, are three. 20- I mean, a belly laugh is is a is a tall is a tall ass. Listen, three like- good laughs in twenty five minutes, and if you, you, I couldn't even get one. Like I, I got I a get couple s- smiles. That's what it. About seven smiles. Okay, seven smiles or three belly laughs is the formula we're going with. I had about three <laughs> smiles and no okay. belly laughs. Yeah, that's not, not That's right. not nearly enough for me to do here the Righteous Gemstones. I, and I look at some of these reviews. Matt Goldberg at Collider said it well. The show doesn't lack style, but it's shockingly weak on substance given its singular setting. Uh, Linda Holmes of NPR also chimed in. With that tight focus on these characters comes a need to differentiate them from similar characters we've seen before. That's the show's most significant flaw. I think that's the problem. Like McBride plays those characters so well, but when you do it over and over, it becomes repetitive. That's a challenge, yeah. right? When you're typecast to playing a certain character, can you still make it unique and fresh rather than feeling repetitive? And I think for The Righteous Gemstones, it feels repetitive. How was Adam Devine in it? I'm a fan of his. I'm he's a big good. Fan he's of fu- he's funny in the movie. Workaholics is great. So Isn't he the one who did the O-Face? He's got to be back in the yes, day. Yeah, yeah, I believe so. Adam Devine. <laughs> Check out my O-Face. Oh, oh. Uh, yeah. Adam Devine, is, Adam Devine <laughs> is funny in the movie. He's, he's good. I like him. Because, again, he is uh, – not the show, not the movie. He's good because – Again, he's the more chosen child. He's a little bit more sweet-natured. McBride's more of a lout. He's a little bit more aggressive. But right. they're both obviously skeevy and trying to do the wrong thing. What's interesting <laughs> is this. McBride said he didn't want the show to bash religion. Rather, he wanted to lampoon hypocrites. He grew up in the church. His mother did puppet ministry. He wanted to take the alternate route that Hollywood does of making fun of one's religious beliefs. So I do appreciate that. It wasn't like he was trying to be uh, you know, anti-religion. He's yeah. just trying to make up fun of the hypocrisy of it. But unfortunately, this one didn't land. Uh, so I'm going to give my review. So Pig gets three Maple Leafs. Oldham giving one and a half Maple Leafs. The Righteous Gemstones, two Maple Leafs. So one to watch, one to skip, and one to maybe watch. So those are the reviews. Uh, as always, keep your thoughts coming. What I think, by the way, has really done well is the fact that we had Chris Cody watch Raging Bull, which I finally got the book from Jay Glenny. I mean, it cost me 80 pounds, and it weighs 80 pounds. A 300-page coffee table book. Thankfully, there's a ton of pictures, but I don't know how long it's going to take. It's not like me. This. That's what I look for in my books. Oh, pictures, annotations, and scripts, and notes from Scorsese, and pictures of him and De Niro on vacation together, wearing like Hawaiian shirts. I mean, oh, this nice. is. What a, it is a treasure trove of artifacts that Jay Glenny got. So hopefully uh, all of you can support Jay Glenny's work. You can go back, listen to the recent episodes of Cinephile. I cannot wait to dive in to that book of Raging Bull. He also wrote one about train spotting. And as he told me and Chris, he's got one working on right now on Taxi Driver. Those are the reviews. Let us know what film you want Chris Coy to watch next at Cinephile Pod. Now it's time for our special guest. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. 
Go to buyoptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Hey, howdy, folks. This is your captain speaking. Getting word from the flight deck, we are clear for takeoff. Sit back. Relax and enjoy Up in the Air with Claire. It's a pleasure to bring in one of my favorites here, not just on Cinephile, but in life, my friend Claire Atkins. For many years, she carried me on College Football Final when, listen, at the end of a 14-hour day, nobody wants to be there talking about Ball State. But there's Claire keeping her energy up. Joey Galloway's angry and miserable. And in addition to that, Claire is a great film mind. She went to USC Film School. We hear and I share a love of uh, independent films, smaller films, uh, her husband, Dan, is a huge fan of American Splendor, which is one of my all-time favorite movies. So without further ado, Claire Atkins makes her return here to Cinephile. Claire, how are we doing? Thanks for having me, Adnan. Um, and Chris, happy belated birthday. Thank Looks you. like you had a fun weekend. <laughs> yeah, it was good. We're definitely all over the place. There's a lot of people right now in the house, but we're enjoying ourselves. I love the fact you can bring a different perspective to the table here. Uh, by the way, before we get into anything here, how, thank God Bob Odenkirk's okay. I mean, you sent me that great tweet, uh, Greta Gerwig. But for those who are unaware, first off, Bob Odenkirk, yeah, yeah. who was on the set of Better Call Saul, got rushed to the hospital. I'm like, oh my God, we, the misery right now in the world, we can't lose Bob Odenkirk. Thankfully, he's okay. He sent a tweet saying, I had a small heart attack. I'll be back to work soon. But you sent me the tweet that Greta Gerwig had said. Yeah, I mean, someone asked her at the little women's screening, you know, why Bob Odenkirk? What, you know, it's such a random appearance in this movie. And she said, who doesn't love Bob Odenkirk? And I thought that was just perfect. It was like, who can I put in this movie that's just going to pop up and someone's going to go, oh, I love that guy. Can I just jump in and say that there's no such thing as a small heart attack? I'm just going to get out there on the record. I mean, I, if I ever have a heart attack, to me, it will not be considered. I, I agree, Chris. That's when someone says a minor heart issue. I'm like, it's, it's your heart. How could this be minor? I just said a minor procedure. I'm like, no, no, no. You had a heart attack, dude. I hope you're okay. And hopefully, Better Call Saul does return with Better Call Saul and Bob Odenkirk intact. Um, Little Women, obviously you loved. I know you're upset with me. I only give it two and a half Maple Leafs. You're upset. But we've yes, got yes. one of our favorites here. Dave Patel has a new movie out. You've reviewed it for us. What do you got? Yeah, so I heard your review of Stillwater, uh, which obviously was a entered the box office last weekend alongside Green Knight, which I'm not sure how many people saw it. I did not look at the box office numbers. <laughs> it was a New York Times critic pick. It's produced by A24, which if I had to define myself as a production company, it would be A24. They produce all my favorite movies. So The Green Knight uh, is a historical drama starring Dev Patel, who I think has finally become leading man in Hollywood. I don't think anybody saw personal history of David Copperfield last summer. Uh, <laughs> you saw me. it. You and Dan I saw did. it in the Indie Theater in Connecticut. You guys loved it. I did, yes, and I loved it. And so I thought he really has that leading man potential. And I thought this is the film that really puts him over the edge. And it's a really simple plot. The Green Knight comes to Sir Arthur's court looking for a knight to challenge him. Dev Patel accepts the challenge and this episodic adventure begins. I will tell you, this movie is very weird. It is very strange. It is dark. It is funny at times. It's bold. But I would say the moviegoer is not going to like it. Um, Joel Edgerton has a great role in it. He's having a good year with Underground Railroad. But 
you know, you really have to be a specific type of moviegoer. I wouldn't say I want to see it again, but I really enjoyed it. If you're a Game of Thrones person, this might be down your alley, but it also could just be a little too strange for you, a little too metaphorical. So that's kind of my, I would, if I'm going to do my Maple Leafs, I'm giving it two Maple Leafs. Oh man, that's a stinging review of the Green Knight. 90% on Rotten Tomatoes, only 52%. Is it really? Is it really? I didn't look that up. Yeah. But to your point, only a 52% audience score. So this is one of the critics like of the average fans going, what the hell is this? All right, Dallin Cuff was upset last week. I gave a three-second spoiler alert, which he said was not enough for Stillwater. So we're going to give a five-second spoiler alert, and then I want you to tell me and Chris Cody about some of the weird stuff in this movie, because Cody and I are not going to watch it. So when you said it's kind of weird, I want to hear actual details of weirdness. Five, four, three, two, one. Go ahead. While he is being turned on by a rich man's wife, she's trying to move the belt that apparently is going to save him from being killed by the Green Knight. <laughs> Chris, any questions on that topic? I mean, what's funny that is that's it. actually in that's actually in the original poem. Like that part is true to the poem. Like ninety percent of it isn't, but that apparently like was something that was written whenever this was written in the you know eight hundreds or whatever. I love that it was faithful to the source material. Um, we're gonna get at some of the indie films that you watched in the pandemic, but I'm so happy. I was ecstatic. Uh, in fact, the text you sent me after I was talking about Inside Lewin Davis, which I had not seen since it first came out. I'm so jealous of the experience you had after that film came out. Tell us about it. When that movie came out, they did a concert in New York City at Town Hall, and it was starring all the, all the musicians that were featured in the movie. And it, it was actually the most incredible thing you've ever seen. It was Jillian Welch, it's Old Crow Messen Show, it's Marcus Mumford, it's Justin Timberlake, and they're all there. And you know, the show itself was incredible. But afterward, my friend, who happens to be a photographer for Mumford and Sons, takes me to the after party. And I'm just sitting there talking to Paul Rudd and Ted Danson about, you know, <laughs> what we thought and the music. And I'm like, where am I? And it's one of those just New York City nights that you're just going, I mean, this is this is insane. This is actually insane. How is Paul Rudd scan in person? <laughs> Incredible. He's also like so small. I mean, he's, you know, five, Six, seven. Really? Little. Yeah, he's a, he's little. I feel like everybody in Hollywood that I'm like with ever is just so small. Like yeah, them yeah. on screen, they don't look so small, but in person, they're just tiny. Now, Claire's right. I've interviewed Paul Rudd at Sundance, and I'm small. I'm 5'8", and Rudd's smaller than I am. And I was like, oh, my God. But great skin and piercing blue eyes. I mean, definitely a handsome guy. Uh, how was Ted Danson in person? I love Ted Danson. <laughs> I, I mean, he's he's like the grandfather. He's probably tall, had. right? He's probably yes, tall. Yes. I mean, his hair is like three inches, but it's <laughs> he's the, the grandfather you want. You want him to be your dad. You want to call him for advice. I mean, it's like I, I just wanted him to adopt me. I, mean, <laughs> I just wish we had pictures of you and Paul Run Ted Danson. Of course, I have no photos because I was, you know, I'm, I'm in this party at the Bowery Hotel. You got to play it cool. You got to play it cool. Oh, Play cool, you know, and it's like, how are you related to this film? Like, you right. know, oh, I years was later, a, I was an A2 intern. I don't know. <laughs> years later, Ted, I'm gonna be at ACC Network running things, but hey, gonna catch up with you. Best of luck with everything you're doing with the good place. Um, indie movies you watched during the pandemic, you and I were both saying a lean time. You heard me giving that list of movies for the Cannes Film Fest, you're like, oh my god, yes, Todd Solon's movies, let's go. So, what are some films that you saw that you were particularly struck by? Because as we know, it's been a little lean right now in the summer. 
It is lean. And I would say, I mean, last year was a great year for me in films because I think a lot of these indie films, they, they had, were happy to release on digital. They're not trying to get a theatrical release, but there's a lot that I just think everyone missed. And so I watched them for you. And if it's 60% on Rotten Tomatoes or less, it's probably a movie I'm going to like. That's what I, I tend to find. I am not a popular movie person. Uh, the first one I would say is Sunlit Night. I'm telling you, I think this is a Rotten Tomatoes score of like 33%. I think that's trash. Um, but it's a dramedy starring Jenny Slade, who's definitely a huge indie darling. It has guest stars like Zach Galifianakis and Jillian Anderson. And I find her really earnest in the role. And she plays a painter who finds herself on assignment in uh, remote Norway, working with a crotchety old artist there. And Galifianakis is the comedy of the film that you that you need and the lightheartedness. But it's... It's actually pretty dark at times and, and she's just she's so likable and I and I found it very charming. So I would tell you to watch that. Um, I would tell you to By watch the way, sorry to kick the job. You did yeah. nail the you did nail the rotten tomatoes. Thirty-three percent, fifty percent audience score. Yeah. I just want to read the blurbers describing it. Go Jenny ahead. Slate remains as charming as ever, but her winsome performance isn't enough to overcome the sunlit night's grating tone and meandering plot. You know what? Screw you guys. You're taking yourselves too seriously. I, I, the less plot, the better for me. I, I am like, I, I, I love a movie with no plot. Like that is right. That is my jam. Put that in your Twitter bio. Yeah. Less plot, just more nothing. Claire Atkins approves. Next up. Um, Tesla. Did you watch this? Adam? I didn't. We, we, we love Ethan Hawke. He's our guy. And then I watched yeah. the trailer clip and I go, this looks so eccentric and so strange. Oh, yeah. I was waiting oh, yeah. for you oh. and someone else to tell me to watch it because I, I never yeah. got around. Uh, if you recommend it, I watch. I'll watch it. Ooh, do I recommend it for you? I mean, I think you should watch it as an Ethan Hawke fan. So Tesla, right. um, shout out First Reformed, Ethan Hawke. Uh, this is a bio biographical drama where Hawk plays the inventor Nikola Tesla. A lot of people don't know that that's where Tesla's name comes from, the car company. And it's competes against the other famous inventor, Thomas Edison, played by Kyle McLachlan from Twin Peaks. And he's very good in the role. Um, but this movie is really weird. It is uh, <laughs> it time travels. It has trippy dream scenes. But I think it's very, very on brand for Ethan Hawke. And so if you're a fan of him, I, I, I recommend you watch it. Well, good news is I'll watch because I love Ethan Hawke. I love Strange. And Cody likes a CBD gummy once in a while. So if you get a couple, couple oh, of gummies, yeah. oh, <laughs> take a couple of gummies. Amazing. Let it kick in in the last <laughs> 10 minutes and you're and it's going to be perfect. The dangerous game, though, is you never know when it's going to kick in. <laughs> This, this isn't like dropping acid during 2001. You get to file a Cooper. Oh, my God. What was Kubrick thinking? All right. Tesla, I will definitely watch. By the way, it, it used to always seem in Brooklyn. You'd be out for a run all the time. Ethan Hawke. Oh, yeah. I mean, he is like the king of the of the Cobble Hill, Carroll Gardens neighborhood. He just runs like right in the middle of the street in like 1980s prefontaine running shorts. And he's just like waving everybody. I mean, he is just like a sight to be seen. He pops into the local bookstore, signs his book. I mean, he is like the true Brooklynite. Fantastic shout out to Steve Prefontaine. If you don't get the reference, look it up. What else do you got? So this is probably the highest reviewed movie on this list, St. Francis. Uh, it mm. stars nobody you've ever heard of. Um, it is a writer, Kelly O'Sullivan. It was a 2019 critics pick, audience pick at South by. And she uh, is just plays a young 20 something trying to figure out her life. She has an abortion. She decides to become a nanny. It is so well written. It is so funny. It's extremely honest. 
it sounds like a movie that would just appeal to women. My husband watched it. He loved it. I really wish more people had seen this movie. And so I would like to get it out there. So St. Francis, if you're looking for just a feel good, female centric movie, please, please watch this one. By the way, Tesla, 58% Rotten Tomatoes, 43% audience. Okay, fine. But you're expecting strange. It's going to be polarizing. But St. Francis is what you're recommending. Cody, what would it take for you to watch any of the three films that Claire has just recommended? And which of the three would you be most eager to watch? The one that I could take the gummy for. That's the one I, want to watch. I knew it was going to be Tesla. Tesla. <laughs> okay. okay, okay. The next one's for you. The next one's for you, Cody. Black Bear. This was one of the craziest movies I have watched all year. I watched it probably like seven, eight months ago. I can't stop thinking about it. It is the type of movie that halfway in, you still don't know what's going on, but then you kind of start to pick it up and then you're just like, mind is blown. This stars Aubrey Plaza of mm. Parks and Love, Rec. love Aubrey Plaza. Yes, I mean, so hang on, hang on, hang on. So Cody, uh, what, what is it that you love about Aubrey Plaza? I'm a big, no, I'm a big Parks and Rec yeah. fan. She's so dry yeah. and she's hilarious. Yeah. I love that style. Okay, I'll, I'll yeah. uh, so, see the floor. I apologize. Yes, <laughs> yes. So this, she's, re she's really good in this. Um, I also saw her in Ingrid Goes West. That was a trash film. Do not watch that. <laughs> um, but I, but she's the type of, if she's attached to something, I'm going to watch it. Um, and she stars as a writer director who heads up to a house, um, in upstate New York to write her next script. The house is owned by a couple who's trying to make an artist haven and it just kind of goes awry. Um, it's very, very meta. It's funny. It's disturbing. If you like that kind of film, this one is for you. 89% Rotten Tomatoes. This is easily the best reviewed film according to the critics of what you love. Aubrey Plaza. Cody, you're in. Where can we find this film, Claire? Black Bear. Ooh, I think I rented it on Amazon Prime. That's what okay. I think Hopefully I did. Hopefully on Amazon Prime. Um, and my first one, my, my favorite movie, any movie I watched during the pandemic, definitely controversial, uh, very poorly reviewed. I think <laughs> I told you I watched it at and The Nest, starring um, oh, yeah, yeah. Jude Law and Carrie Coons. Um, I thought Carrie Coon should have been in award season. It is about a couple living beyond their means. It is haunting. Uh, it is an hour 45, which I loved because very few movies nowadays come in under two yes. hours. It was directed by Sean Durkin, who did Martha Marcy May Marlene and launched Elizabeth Olsen's career. And if you just love movies about couples with secrets and trying to figure out their lives and watching it all fall apart, watch this movie. I mean, if, if you like just disturbing couples, like this is for you. <laughs> I loved it. I loved it so much. Cody, it's a pretty good date night, okay? You and the wife just saddling up, watching a little bit of The Nest. You'll see this movie Watching like a person. crazy couple that lied to each other. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Nothing brings a couple together. And, and, great, and great kids trying to figure out what's going on with their parents. It's it's really, it, I, I, I loved it. I wish, again, another movie that just kind of got lost in the I actually saw it in theaters, I think probably like last October when only Adnan and I were going to the movie theater <laughs> and I wouldn't tell anybody that I was going, yeah. but you know, you go and you'd be the only person in the theater. And I was like, this is literally the safest place to be right now. Yeah. I remember when you texted me, Claire, it was right around like August here. I'm like, Hey, you're going to go. And I'm like, yeah, I'm like, I, um, you know, I'll be careful. I'll wear a mask. We'll be fine. I'm like, you're like, Oh yeah, we're already going. Like me and Dan are going next week. Like, oh, yeah, oh, we're we, we, like, we, we were alone in the movie theater for like six months. It was awesome. You mentioned movies being over two hours. Do we want a movie to be as short as possible as long as it's good like is there a perfect time length for a movie or are we just looking for get this over with as fast as possible as long as i like it i mean i like that 130 to 145 range because if i start a movie at home at like nine o'clock i love the idea of it being over before like 11 yes i mean you know it's like a mental thing if i see two and a half and i'm like oh 11 30 that's too late 
Um, I mean, there's just very few movies I want to watch that are that are that long. I am a Marvel fan. I watch all those. So, you know, look, I know that those are going to be two and a half, three hours. Dune, I'm psyched nice. for. I'm sure that's like four hours. <laughs> Did he film this? Yeah. Um, you know, but like if it's just an indie film, I mean, sometimes I see like the like an hour 26 come in and I'm like, yes, like yeah. this is awesome. Somebody has perfectly done this. Claire Atkins, you can follow her on Instagram, Claire-E-Atkins. Also follow her on Twitter. Uh, she'll get her insights on USC, the National Predators, Chicago Cubs, all of her sports teams. Uh, Ooh, the also, Cubs. How are we feeling about I the know. Cubs? I know, it was, it's, it's like a death that we're all still mourning. I mean, like you go on Twitter and it's like there's another home run every half At least hour. they didn't all hit home runs in their first game. <laughs> the unbelievable. It's un-freaking-believable. Look at Chris Bryant with the Giants, Anthony Rizzo with the Yankees, Javi Baez with the Mets. Like, wow. They're calling him Giant Bryant already. So, wow. <laughs> Speaking of good eyes, I mean, geez, those peepers. Um, last thought, and I'll let Claire go. How about, uh, did anybody have worse movie taste than Joey Galloway? I mean, I, he, he literally was in the studio one day and he goes, you know what's really good? <laughs> I knew it was going to be good. He said The Great Wall. Which Matt Damon right now is doing publicity tours to Stillwater, and people are asking, "What's the worst movie you've ever made?" He's like, "Well, The Great Wall was pretty bad." When my daughter said to me, "How could you make that movie? The movie was awful," and I'm like, "Yeah, Galloway's like, you know what? Good movie. The Great Wall. Who's watching that movie?" There are so many movies out there that get made for Joey Galloway and <laughs> that audience, and like, I'm not your audience. I am this audience. These indie films, but you know, someone's watching them. Claire Atkins, great stuff as always, Claire. Great to see you. I hope you're having an awesome summer. I hope ACC Network is ready to go. And uh, hopefully we'll see a movie. Hopefully we'll see. Go ahead. You had an ACC comment you wanted to make. Go well, ahead. no, no. I'm actually headed to Africa tomorrow on what? honeymoon. Oh, my, finally. That's great. Finally, oh. two, two years oh. later. Um, and I plan on renting. I've never seen Out of Africa. Yes, Meryl Streep, Robert Redford, Sidney Pollack, 1985, Best Picture winner. I'm glad I caught you now before the honeymoon. This is great. Give my best to Dan. Hopefully we'll see a show on Broadway whenever the hell this mammoth play comes back. But you guys are going to see I the Hugh Jackman show, right? The Music Man? Yes. Yes. Uh, first show I'm going to see is Jagged Little Pill, early November, just to get something on the books, feel alive <laughs> again, sit in those little chairs with my $28 glass of wine. <laughs> but I think we're all going to be wearing masks, so I'm not sure how that's going to work. Um, yeah. Alanis Morissette's musical. And then February 2022, Sutton Foster, Hugh Jackman, The Music Man. I'll be there. I love it. I love it. That's where you can find Claire Atkins if you want a selfie with her. Thanks, Claire. Bye. Thanks, guys. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. After hearing you guys talk about Joey Galloway's movie tastes, I kind of want to have him on for his top five movies of all time. I'm not kidding. Right. I, I knew someone was going to listen to this go, you know what? I actually kind of like The Great Wall, too. Like, yeah. I, I'm in with Galloway. Like, <laughs> get these foo-foo jerks out of here. Actually, that's a pretty good movie. I wanted to pass along, since you mentioned Ethan Hawke. I went through this a couple of while ago, but this is a funny uh, excerpt I read of Ethan Hawke. He had this, you know, Hollywood roundtable, Hollywood report, excuse me, roundtable they always do. So I love Philip Seymour Hoffman, as you know, for the interview with uh, Mark Harris. So this was Ethan Hawke and Barry Jenkins talking about their shows. And Hawke said, you know, Barry, if I may, it might be interesting to you to know. I hope he doesn't mind. But I was friends with Philip Seymour Hoffman. And one of the things he said that the only thing that competed with abject failure in his psyche was winning the Academy Award. It was one of the only things that played around with self-esteem and motivation. He felt embarrassed when people would say it. But then also it would attack him inside his own brain. 
He'd sit in a cab and say, wait, I'm an Academy Award winner. Why am I in this piece of shit cab? Like, he'd feel his own psyche at war with this label, and that the label created this baggage that was in his way because it's not real. And sometimes you're failing, but you're doing the best work of your life, and you're learning the most, and you're enriched. And sometimes you're winning out the wazoo, and you're doing really mediocre work. So if that self-esteem doesn't really come from in here, then it is in your own way. And I only tell you that to say you're not alone. It can be an albatross around your neck. Barry Jenkins. Yeah, but because of the way it happened, because of where I'm from, it kind of demystified it in the moment of it happening. So it kind of just is what it is. Hawk, oh good. So it's hilarious. Ethan Hawk gives this like insanely long yeah. passage. Barry Jenkins says, yeah, but I, I got, I'm fine with that. Okay, thanks. The other part yeah. of it that I loved is when he started it by saying, it may be of interest to you to know, and I hope he doesn't mind, but I was friends with Philip Seymour Hoffman. Philip Seymour Hoffman's been dead for 70 years. What do you mean? Right. I hope he doesn't mind. What, is he going to come down from heaven? He's like a ghost? He's going to scare him? I can't believe you told me that story. <laughs> what are you doing? Oh, Cody, man. if I die tomorrow and you go, I hope Adnan doesn't mind, but I don't Go ahead. Yeah. I don't mind. Say right. what the hell you want about me. You insult me all you can. I don't give a damn. I thought he sucked. I think he was a terrible cinephile. Okay, great. I'm dead now. What do I care? <laughs> Check cleared. Um, we'll be back next week here at Cinephile. We've got Glenn Franco coming up in a couple of weeks. We've got another old Cinephile favorite coming back next week here on the podcast. Plus, Suicide Squad, big summer movie is coming out. It's actually got, I think, good reviews. So look forward to Suicide Squad and others next time. We'll see you at the movies.